Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. Right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. On this episode, I will be interviewing Brian Robinson. Brian is a former New York 10, New York District 10 congressional candidate for the Democratic Party. Brian is a father, a husband, an author, and a small business owner. Brian is also a graduate of Tulane, where he earned a bachelor degree in political philosophy. I've gotten to know Brian through social media, and it's easy to see how compact, how to see he is compassionate, loves his community, and is working towards bringing people together. Brian, along with another another moderate Democrat, Maud Moran, were wrongfully shut out of New York One's Democratic candidate debate, which was hosted by Errol Lewis. It's a privilege to have him on as a guest on the show. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast, the great and powerful Brian Robinson. Brian, it's a pleasure. I thank you for coming on, my brother. Um, if you could just, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, just describe how you grew up, where you grew up, stuff like that. Yeah, John, first of all, uh, pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. This is great. And I, I love what you're doing here. So I grew up in Jersey, uh, central Jersey. A lot of people like to say that there is no central Jersey. There is a central Jersey. I'm from there. <laughs> so Homedale, New Jersey, uh, it's near the shore. And uh, like you said, I went to school in New Orleans at Tulane and I got my philosophy degree and uh, went on to live in New York City last 16 or so years. Um, You know, so my my backstory is not so not so complicated. You know, I I did some work in finance. I started my own business in financial services. Uh, I have authored a book about ADD, which I have. And. Um, you know, I, I get involved in a lot of community efforts. Uh, I'm on the I'm on the board of Bogardus Plaza, uh, which is a pedestrian plaza in Tribeca, and uh, I tend to come out for the things that I feel passionate about. And uh, I, I suppose that's the that in short is the winding road that took me to running for Congress. But uh, again, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. No, no it's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know. We're very familiar being from Staten Island and the Italian community. We're very familiar with Homedale and Manhattan oh, yeah. because, <laughs> you know, the great migration happened. I'm down in Florida now, but uh, half of my friends and my cousins are where you are. So you did the opposite. You moved, you moved into the city. Um, exactly. So, but exactly. I mean, you're a New you know York my... guy. You've been, you've been living. Yeah. I mean, that's basically New York, New York, New Jersey. It's tri-state area. It's, you know, yep. it's, you're an, you're a New York guy. Like, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, everybody's very familiar. We, we go to the same restaurants, vice versa, but um, yep. what, what actually did spark your interest? You know, you mentioned you ran for Congress. What actually did spark your interest in politics? Like how old were you? How'd that happen? Like what, like, what was that? 
I've always been interested in politics in the way that I'm interested in people, you know, how, how they interact with each other, how they form governments, things of that nature. I was never involved in politics until more recently. Uh, I, I just saw the country becoming so divided. And I thought it was, uh, well, from one perspective, really sad to watch. And from another, I, I just thought it was silly. You know, we're, we're fighting over some of the, the dumbest things. And, you know, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of it has to do with social media. A lot of it has to do with the negativity uh, on our television screens. Uh, I, think it, I think it's purposeful. I think it's intentional. I think se- sensationalism rules the day. And uh, it's meant to divide. And uh, it works. It, it really works. So I, I just saw a city that was, you know, you have to look at the city a little bit differently, as you know, from the country, right? Uh, you, you know, a lot of people complain, and I'm one of them, is that the city is becoming too divided, too extreme, too left, too right. Well, in New York City, uh, it's too left. It's further and further left we go with no stop in sight. And I have a problem with that. I always considered myself a liberal guy. I always, you know, even voted Democrat most of the time. And uh, for me to see my own party or what I saw as my own party just go off a cliff didn't sit right with me. And I I figured I had to get involved. Um, You know, as a newcomer to run for Congress, I I suppose that was a pretty big office to shoot for. But uh, I I felt like my heart was in the right place and I wanted to do some good. Uh, It ended up being a wacky ride because... Uh, I was actually the original D10 candidate, and I spent half my time and money in the Upper West Side. I don't know if you remember that. Yep. Uh, th- they reconfigured the lines. So I was running versus Jerry Nadler, and there was myself and one other candidate. And all of a sudden, you know, they scrambled everything, and all of a sudden I'm in, uh, you know, Park Slope. <laughs> <laughs> With Bill de Blasio. <laughs> it was Bill de Blasio. Yeah, Bill made an appearance for a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking on that one, but, you know, yeah, that's no. neither here nor there. But okay. I, just want, I just wanted to bring, try to bring people together. Uh, it, it, it's sad to see where we are right now, and uh, unfortunately it doesn't look like we're heading in the right direction, but I like to hope at some point we will be. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's part of the reason that I started this podcast is I think that, like, long-form civil debate is is where it is. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't think the country's as divided, and I, you brought up a great point, like social media, um, the news. I don't really believe the country's that divided because I go out and I speak to everyone, and I have friends all over every end of the political spectrum. And, you know, we differ on certain issues, but as a whole, I mean, we want our streets to be safe. We want our kids to get educated. We want to have the best healthcare. We want our streets to be clean. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I think normal, rational people, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whether you're a a liberal or you consider yourself an independent or a libertarian, I think that most rational people could sit down, have a conversation, and not want to kill each other. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think that yeah, I think even the issues they highlight aren't major issues for the average men and women in the street. You know, and I like I, I for me being a cop and I saw the division that was brought in on 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 my uh, profession as a whole. 
And I never believed that. I said, you know, everyone is like, oh, I'm so sorry what you're going through. And I'm like, it's really not like that. I'm like, I could go into any community in New York City and people love me. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't, I, yep. there is, there is not a divide between the police and the community. There's a divide between police and the criminal. There always been. Of course. And, and for some reason, a divide came into corporate America, came into the media, and unfortunately came into New York politics where, oh, yeah. you know, and, and like you said, it is going super far left where, you know, I, I was watching the other day on Twitter, I was watching, um, uh, city councilwoman Tiffany Caban and a bunch of other council people pushing a book, abolish the police. And I was like, this is this is insane, man. Like, it's, and, and, and we can't even have a rational conversation about that because it's, no. you know, and, and they won't debate it. And, that, and that's the other thing that that bothers me. So so I so I appreciate I appreciate you bring it like highlighting that. And that's I, I think the same way you do 100 percent. It's too divided, you know, and you trying to bring a rational voice is great. Um, they don't want it. it, though. They don't I, want rationality. Not New York politics. They don't yeah. they, they don't want to talk about public safety. They don't want to talk about quality education. They only want to talk about, like you said, a book like Abolish the Police. I mean, this is just that that in itself is a metaphor for the type of subjects they want to focus on and get people amped up over. And this is not the things these are not the things that affect people on a day to day basis. Uh, in fact, if we, well, if we abolish the police, well, <laughs> our day to day would be horrible, <laughs> but, yeah. but you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, uh, it's not a rational political environment we're living in right now. It's frustrating. Yeah, no, it's very, very, very frustrating. Um, I'm going to get into the politics with you, but I just want to, I just want to touch on your book yep. if you don't mind. Um, so yeah, so- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, another question, how'd you, like, what, what made you want to write the book and like, how, how'd that come about? I know you said you had ADD. So, but like, how'd you like, oh, like, I'm going to write a book and like, what, what, what was the main point on it? And just that I, I felt like ADHD was misunderstood. Uh, you know, you talk about education, it's a diagnosis, sure. Uh, but then, you know, and it ends up becoming a label for people. And uh, a label in and of itself ends up being a negative thing. And, uh, you know, with ADHD, you're treated for it. They call it a mental disorder. And, uh, you know, maybe that that's part of it, but I don't really see it as a disorder. I see it as, in a, you know, something alternate, you know, a different style of thinking, of seeing the world. And uh, I, I just, I sat down one day and I thought to myself, all right, you know, I, I maybe my brain is wired a little bit differently but I don't think that's all bad. I think uh, I think I'm creative because of the way I'm wired, and uh, you know I, ha- I have a lot I have a lot to offer, and I want to sh- I wanted to show that side of ADD for people who have ADD, um, and you know the parents of kids um, who maybe have a kid like I was, crazy hyper bouncing off the walls, not paying attention well in school, but still smart in their own right uh it's it's a very misunderstood diagnosis and i wanted to help raise the self-esteem of uh kids who are labeled that way because it ends up being you know the message is it, you know you have a, a problem there's something wrong with you and i i don't think that's the way uh, it should be approached i think it should be approached as you think differently you see the world differently you're wired a little bit differently 
but you you have a lot to offer. There's a lot that you can do in this world. And uh, because you are unique, that in and of itself is a great thing. So that, that's that's the message I wanted to bring. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I have a bunch of friends with, with ADHD, and I'll, I'll tell you that they're super productive. They're mm-hmm. super creative. Um, you know, the guys like you watch like engineering stuff, like my friend Frankie, like you got to like he'll take a drone and he'll uh, like do just all these crazy things with it. I don't I hate to play yep. cards. I hate to play cards with him because he can't sit still. But as <laughs> but, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure as as like as a child, I'm sure like he was he was labeled. But he it, it honestly is such a great part of who he is. And and it. Yep. It, it really is. It is a gift in, in a way, too. And then, you know, I hate to see and I and I hate to see and, and the name of your, your book is Adderall Blues. And and I always hate to see and I still sometimes I don't know everything, but sometimes I think I could see through through things. And um, I'll see a kid that's like super hyper. And then one time and then another day I'll see him like at a pool or event, a family event. And I'm, I feel like the parents drug them up because he's too hyper and i'm like i i don't yeah. I, and i hate to see that i do because you know I, I you know i think in my age range it really wasn't diagnosed as much you know what i mean like it wasn't it wasn't like oh hey give 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 your kids something to calm him down it was more like all right he's crazy like he's a little hyper <laughs> but you know he's good you know like stuff like that you know um so no that that's good Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because these drugs, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm not anti per se, but I do think they're overprescribed and they do zap you out. I know when I took them, uh, I felt like part of my personality wasn't really flowing and I wasn't myself. And I think that's a problem with a lot of these uh, stimulants that they give these ADD kids uh, is that it has a paradoxical effect. The stimulants, if you have ADD, kind of zombie you out you will you will sit still but you'll also you'll lose a part of yourself so it's uh it's a balance you have to find and if it works for you great but a lot of times it doesn't work for you especially as a kid i think it's something you really have to consider more when you're more aware of yourself as an adult yep yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i mean that's you know i don't think the answer for everything is take a pill you know it's 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 especially especially a young healthy child that's it's just it's overactive like it's and and it's probably a good thing because we have so many people that are inactive that you know what i mean i it's so it's 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 definitely like you said it's a balancing act and i don't think drugs needs to always be the solution you know especially especially for something like that yeah um all right, no, I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you sharing that, and, I, and I'll definitely sure. share your book with it, with it, with anybody that I know that ha- that has a child with ADHD, or even some of my friends that do have ADHD. Thank <laughs> you. Hopefully, they can sit there and read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll do it. They'll do it on uh, Audible. I got it for them. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um. So uh, you already you already told us about why you ran for Congress. So let's just get let's get into the politics a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on the crime spike in New York City? And how do you, do you feel that currently New York City elected are handling these properly? And by the elected, I mean, you know, I mean the governor, the mayor, state assembly, city council. Um, you know, how, how do you feel about cr- the, the crime spike in New York City? Is there a crime spike in New York City? Some people don't even admit there is. So. No, I think everything's fine. And I think our leadership's doing a great job. <laughs> 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 all right 
next question. Though. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge problem. I mean, it's it's out of control. Uh, you know, in every precinct, yeah, you look at the stats, at least I look at Manhattan. I haven't looked at Brooklyn uh, in, a, in a month or two, but it's, you know, hard crime of 40, 50 percent. And it's not it's not the fault of po- police. Uh, they're doing everything they can. But you've got you've got a system where, um, you know, it's it's like you wouldn't even you wouldn't even parent a child this way where there's just no consequences for breaking the law or, you know, acting up. So, I mean, if for, for somebody who is going to break the law or do something awful or even do something like, okay, they go and they, uh, they rob a store, maybe not even with a gun, and they get busted. Okay. If they're out five minutes later, what, are the, what is the lesson learned there? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I was, you know, I, I was in the station for five minutes and, uh, you know, that was bad and I should never do that again. No. 99% of people are going to go and do it double time. You know, they're, they're going to make a career out of it. And that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing small businesses go under because we've got no consequences for theft. Uh, even armed robbery is oftentimes downgraded uh, thanks to our district attorneys uh, led by, you know, Alvin Bragg, for instance, in Manhattan, who says, you know, if you have uh if you have a weapon, but your intent was not to use it, which I don't know how you prove that, uh, then it's it's not it's not armed robbery. It's uh, petite larceny. <laughs> this is a crazy world we're living in, and you know, okay, crimes of poverty we're not gonna prosecute because they're in a bad spot. Okay, there, I I in theory I understand that a lot of things sound nice in theory, but in practice. What that means is that anybody can continuously go in and damage property, hurt somebody, steal things. And the people that are abiding by the law and not hurting anybody end up being the people who suffer. So it's it's kind of an, an afflictor mentality where if you're a good person and you don't hurt anybody, you pay the consequences for those who disobey the law who would hurt somebody it's it's a tough spot and then you have these homeless shelters that that, um you know they're building a new one i feel like every day in every neighborhood you've got chinatown that's already oversaturated with them and you know i i have empathy for somebody who's severely mentally ill but when you take severely mentally ill people which a high percentage of the homeless people in New York City are, obviously, but also if you look at the statistics and you don't do anything but give them a shelter, you don't give them any sort of psychiatric resources, then you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing the homeless people favors and you're not doing the neighborhoods where crime ends up spiking or, you know, we've seen instances of violent murders where uh, people who are psychotic don't even remember what they did or they think they did it because they're God, you know, Christina, you know, Lee, uh, you know, remember that tragic, um, you know, the, the woman who was pushed off the train platform, that guy was so out of his mind. I, I think, what was he saying? I am God or I'm doing God's work. I mean, this is not a guy who is in his right mind and that doesn't mean he shouldn't, you know, suffer consequences for it. Of course she should, but, maybe 10 years ago had somebody given him the psychiatric help that he needed 
and given him meds and made him stay on the meds, it could have been a different life outcome for Christina Unili and that man. I mean, nothing is being handled correctly. It's all under this guise or this, um, you know, strategy of social justice. And I, it, I've never seen less justice in this world since the, since social justice became such a common theme in New York City. Uh, it, it's awful. And no, the mayor, well, the mayor, he's in a tough position. I, it's hard for me to read what the mayor can and can't do. I do think he cares about lowering crime. I do think he has uh, an apparatus or an infrastructure that's not helpful to him, like DAs that won't prosecute crime. But at the end of the day, the buck does stop with him and crime hasn't gone down really since he's been here. I think maybe gun, um, I, I think maybe uh, gun crimes have gone down. Uh, but other than that, everything else is still up. And then you've got Governor Hochul, who won't even have a conversation about bail reform, even though statistically it's been proven that 40 percent of those released under bail reform laws go ahead and recommit a crime and 20 percent commit a felony. I mean, th- this is what this is a backward world we're living in. And I, I don't I don't know why any politician um, that says, hey, you know, let's not do these ridiculous things can't get elected in New York City. It's the people who want to perpetuate this type of nonsense. It's insane. I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about anybody who cares about public safety. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to have a conversation. They'll change the subject. So I think it's a, a tough spot we're in because if we're not if we're not going to identify the problem. Uh, or acknowledge the problem, we're never going to solve it. No, yeah, I, I, I could, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, that was a great statement. I've never seen so little justice because yeah. it, it, it's, it's really true, you know. And you know, I was a cop in the Broken Windows era, and I was a kid during the Broken Windows era too. So I've okay. seen the heavy hand of police. Like I've had it enforced on me, and I did it. I do believe that those tactics worked. Um, I do believe there were issues with those tactics due to our elected at the time using it as a numbers game. As crime went down, as crime went down throughout the city, they still wanted more arrests, more summonses, more, uh, you know, more stop questioning and frisks, all, all these reports. So it did it did cause like a thrift with the community okay? because you did have weaker cops in stuck in this quota game. And as there's less crime. They're harassing people, like literally, like they're, you're literally, you're getting a summons for things you probably shouldn't get a summons for. You know what I mean? You're getting stopped for things you shouldn't have got stopped for. But the average patrol guy or even a, a guy that's out in the street doing plainclothes work is if, if they're a weaker, if they're of weaker, uh, I don't know, maturity, I want to say, or, or not as, 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 as intelligent into the laws, they'll, they will overstep the job of a police officer to ensure that the higher ups won't come down on them. And, you know, they'll be able to to continue working without being bothered. Um, And so we did definitely overstep there and we could have improved on it, but instead of improving on it, we went and said, Hey, we're just not going to, we're going to, we're going to stop enforcing minor crimes. And, you know, I believe in enforcing minor crimes and I believe that, there does need to be a lesson. You know, I, I spent a night in, uh, I actually spent a weekend in jail when I was a kid. I was hanging out in the park. Kids were smoking marijuana. I didn't smoke marijuana that day, but I always took it. I, but I did get arrested for it. I got arrested with all of them. You and didn't inhale? 
I didn't. I didn't. I at the time I didn't smoke mar. I didn't smoke marijuana, but I they they were smoking, and right, right. and narcos came in. Not like narcotics cops came in. They locked up everyone in the park. There were four of us on the bench. Two kids were smoking. They took all four of us. Um, I spent a weekend in jail, and and it was the greatest lesson I ever had, because I was like, you know what? At, at first, when I was in there, I was like, you know, I was like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. But I was in the park after dark. I'm hanging out with kids that are smoking pot with being loud. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know yep. what? And and well, I'll never forget when I got released, the court officer said to me, oh, now you know, now you know how to act in society. You know what's proper in society. And I think I was annoyed when he said it to me and I walked out, but I, I thought about it later. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. Like, I, I don't want that type of life. So if I don't want that type of life, I don't want to get locked up for stupid things. And I don't want to have these interactions with the cops. So right. Stop hanging out in the park after dark. Stop doing all of these things, right? And then what what happened to me? I got a six. I got a don't do it again, and you won't get in trouble. And it got expunged. From, it got expunged from my record, right? So I think little things like that need to come back into the city, and they they went away from that under the guise that oh, uh, black and brown kids get get locked up for it more than at a at a disproportionate rate, which is true. It was true at the time for the higher crime neighborhoods, and it just happened to be the brunt of the enforcement. But those, though that type of enforcement was being done all over the city, didn't matter what neighborhood it was in. So I, I hated to see us going away with that, and I think that's a big, a big portion of 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 the problem. Like you said, we're not doing anything for mental health either. I, you know, we're just we're growing criminals on one end. And then on the other end, we're not we're not helping the people that we're saying we're here to help. All, all of these reforms, you know, I, I don't think they're reforms. I think we're we're going really bad. Instead, instead of fixing things that need improvement, we we strip down the whole structure of it, which was awful, you know. Um, yeah, it really is. And broken windows worked. It, it, it worked. I mean, that was after the Dinkins era where they, they, you know, they realized there was a huge problem, kind of like now. Uh, now, depending on who you talk to, they, they say it's worse. But, um, you know, the bottom line is we need to allow police to enforce laws. That's what they're there for. And, it, you know, you said that they the police overstepped and it was about quotas. Okay. Then let's design a system where you can't go too far or it's not as quota based, but we need to start enforcing quality of life crimes again, because what, you know, people are moving out, tax dollars are moving out. Uh, you know, parents feel like their kids are not safe. Uh, the elderly, uh, feel vulnerable. Uh, whereas they didn't just a few years ago, just going about their daily routine. It's, it's, it, I don't want to say it's rough out there, but it's it could be a lot better. And, you know, small things like you just talked about would make a big difference. I agree. Well, I lost you a little bit. You got me or no? Uh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. All right, sorry. Where, where did you lose me? I lost you. You said forcing minor crimes would make a big difference. Yeah, no, I, I, I think enforcing the law uh enforcing the smaller things like you said would make a big difference it, they don't have to go overboard uh i don't want it to be you know strictly quota based where it can get out of control like you said it did but some version of that is what's needed and they should just keep it that way yeah, no, I, this I, is, I, you know this is a it, it's a complicated city it's a huge city there's 
how, how many people, 8 million people in this city, we need law enforcement. We, we can't do without it. So to abolish the police, like some in the city council might say, is, is downright uh, stoking uh, an idea that will ultimately lead to chaos and a burning city. I mean, this, you know, that's not the right direction. So, you know, thank you, by the way, for for serving what you've done uh, for our city. Um, I feel like I don't really get the opportunity to thank police officers enough for what they do, you know, especially lately where many of them have been disrespected. I know you say you haven't and I'm glad and maybe in my mind it's worse than it is. But I think you guys do a great job and uh, you aren't given the credit you deserve. No, I appreciate I appreciate that. And I'm sure I'm sure the cops listen to that. Definitely appreciate that. And yeah, like, listen, as a cop, you're always going to get somewhat of a disrespect, you know, but the real disrespect isn't from the young, dumb kids on the street that are mad about something or even, even an older guy. It's just man. He's protesting. He wants to call you a pig or a Nazi or whatever. The real, <laughs> dis- the real disrespect is like it's really when it comes from your leadership or or city council that, that don't understand that. And they're almost a lot with some wacko on the street that's like yeah this guy is a nazi and you're like what you know i'm not, yeah. I'm not this, we're not this like big racist police force especially in new york city i mean we're a predominantly minority force we're the yep. most we're the, the most diverse organization in the world oh yeah you're not gonna find another you're not you won't find an international company that's more diverse than the nypd you know and 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 you know i think i think 99.9 percent of the cops really have the best interest of the city and the public and really want to do their job. Um, but like you said, there, there needs to be enforcement. And what's going on now? It's, it's scary. Like with the DAs, you're bringing that up because, you know, there's a lot, a lot of talk on bail reform and, and bail reform definitely either needs to be totally abolished or revamped in some way, in, in my opinion. But even before that, you know, you got 90% of gun crimes across New York City that are they're not even being prosecuted. And, and the district attorney's offices right now currently are citing staffing issues. So you have violent repeat offenders who are carrying firearms or assaulting people or uh, or robbing people. And 90 percent of those cases are being dropped before they ever get to the court. Now, the few that get to the court because they're so egregious. They get, they you know. Then now you're going through the whole bail reform, and you know I'm I'm very critical of Mayor Adams just just because he was a police officer and I feel like he came in here with no plan, you know. Right. And, and I I don't fault him for the laws per se because he didn't create them, he did support them, but he doesn't use his platform. You know, he's got the second largest platform in the world. And, you know, if, if, if that was me or, or if it was you or anybody, and, and I, I've said it a thousand times, I would be up there. I would have, I would have the statistics run every day of all the arrests we made. And I would, I would embarrass these DAs. I would let the public know exactly what's going on with them. I wouldn't be saying on the news that me and Alvin Bragg are one and the same. And I wouldn't come out and endorse governor Kathy Holchow when she won't hear anything that I have to say to her about trying to protect youth in our city and trying to keep businesses and good people safe. You know, so that that those are my that, that's my real knock on him more more than anything. You know, um, 
well, you know, I, I saw you, we, you spoke on mental health. So you said you'd like to see more facilities and like uh, kind of what we used to have for people with mental health. And so I, I don't think we need to get into that again. Uh, but the, but as far as like drug addicted, because and, and I do think that stems into the mental health. But as far yeah. as for like we, we're seeing a lot of open drug use, which, again, is legal in New York City currently. Um, other than changing the laws to make that a crime again. And I don't believe that the drug addicts should go to jail per se, but they should get forced rehab or something like that. What do you think we could do? to to try to stem the, the not only the flow of drugs but to help the people on our streets currently who are addicted to drugs well i don't think we should be enabling them by creating um you know clinics where they'll give you a needle <laughs> or a crack pipe i mean literally they're there are government crack pipes in some of these uh drug dens that um, are supplied taxpayers paid for uh, crack pipes in 2022 in New York City uh, for those who are drug addicted. Um, in, in my book, and in my opinion, what's right is if you're drug addicted and you have a horrible problem and uh, you can't get it under control by yourself, it makes all the sense in the world to have a physician evaluate this person and say, all right, they need to go to a facility for drug rehab uh, or whatever the physician is appro- uh, thinks is appropriate. But to have rampant, open, hard drug use, in my opinion, uh, in parks and you've got these junkies just laying on benches, uh, camping out, it, it sends the wrong message to everybody who lives here in New York City. Uh, it, sends, uh, it scares the hell out of kids. Uh, they, they don't know what they're looking at. I mean, uh, I, a lot of kids these days uh, on a weekly basis are seeing guys stick needles into their arms. Uh, just look at Washington Square Park. I mean, if you go in there, there's an encampment, um, you know, and then they'll clear it out. They have started to clear it out. I'll give them credit, but they'll just rebuild them and you'll see it. You'll see open needles. You'll see guys smoking crack and we need to we need to do something about it. I, I, I think open hard drug use is the last thing anybody needs in this city. And these people, it's not like they just sit there and do drugs and don't harm anybody. You know, when they're not under the influence, what are they doing? They don't get up and go to a job. Right. They don't go and do community service. They're looking for their next fix. And often that oftentimes that leads to crime that leads to robbing people because they don't have funds. They don't have a means to uh, keep buying these drugs. So it, it, it causes crime. It causes, um, you know, uh, mental health problems. Uh, it, it causes all sorts of chaos uh, for every themselves and everybody around them. And uh, I, I think it has to be reined in. I, I don't. I don't think you can just allow this type of thing uh, to just keep on going. Because you look at San Francisco, um, you know, it's horrible there. I've spoken to a lot of people who have moved out of San Francisco, and it's so horrible that they'll do something like move to Texas from San Francisco because they're so put off by this anarchical uh, far leftist society that allows anything and everything to happen that you're walking around and there's you know feces on the ground there's needles all over the floor in parks and uh, again 
families live here. Um, people who are just want to go about their day without having to worry about stepping over a junkie or being attacked. I mean, th- these are the things that absolutely have to be reined in. And, uh, you know, right now the leadership's just not cutting it. I hope I answered your question on that one. No, you did. No, you absolutely did. No, that's, okay. I mean, you need, we, we need to, we need to have, have treatment in place, not, not be given these, these, uh, safe injection sites and give them crack pipes and lead them on the road to hell. You know, yeah. I mean, and that's what we're doing. We're leading these people on the road to hell. You know, I've, I've had friends that a uh, little younger than me that got caught up in the opioid crisis with pills and it led to them doing heroin and it led to mental, it led to, you know, them having mental illness. It led to them being homeless on the street. And, wow. you know, so when I, when I, when I always talk about enforcement, people like, you know, they're like, Oh, you can't, you can't do that. You know, it's a disease. And I, I agree. I agree that it's a disease, but I also agree that if a woman walks out of her house and there's a bunch of guys shooting up or girls shooting up in their in their uh, vestibule, they should be arrested. And and I don't again, I don't think they need to be in jail for a long time, but there needs to be a consequence. Like if there needs to be something, you have to go to drug rehab. If you fail out of the drug rehab, then you have to go to jail. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I've had cousins and very good friends of mine that jail was the thing that straightened them out jail was the thing that set them straight that got them clean that the way they found god where they did all of these things and they're out now and and uh, most of them have city jobs they're sanitation workers they're you know what i mean or they open up their yeah. own business or they found god and they went somewhere else and I, I even have one of my good friends he he lives in texas now and and he just helps get other people he, he works with these treatment centers and he's a tough kid and he you know he does the hard talk with all these guys and he's he helps thousands and thousands of people across the country like get off of drugs and and it's because of the consequences that we had instead of hey yeah do this you know keep doing it don't worry about it nobody should judge you you know nobody should bother you you know it's it's you know or you're you're uh criminalizing poverty and it's like most of these people aren't really impoverished they're you know they're highly addicted to something and and some of these people have great skills i've i've locked up people that you know i i can't tell you that i i wouldn't i would wind up having conversations with them if they didn't have to get rushed to the hospital because they were fiending out so bad because they needed something in their system and some of the stories were awful awful i remember one guy owned his own business he was breaking into cars we we locked him up i think like seven times in two months for breaking into cars he was like in his 40s i was a young i was a young sergeant and uh you know one day he was like kind of good like the day we locked him up and i was like i don't understand like what are, what are you doing with yourself you know and he's like you don't understand i own my own business i got in a bad car accident i started taking oxycontins i couldn't get off of them next thing i knew i was doing heroin my wife threw me out my kids don't talk to me and now i live on the street and that's how i get money for food i break into cars you know that's awful. Was, it was awful and i was like it was awful and and you know i god only knows where he is now but you know, I, I mean, to take a guy like that, we're basically leaving him on the streets in New York City to die without any consequences. Hey, do what you got to do. There's no consequence for you breaking in the car anymore. You're not going to go to jail for that. There's no right. consequence for you using drugs on the street. You know, all these things. And, and you know, we're, we're basically leaving him out there. The winter's coming in New York City and we're leaving you out there to die. And, and it's, a, it's a huge failure, it's a, especially for the amount of money that we have budgeted for to, to deal with these things. And, 
in our uh, in our society. But yet we we sit down and we and we just throw more money at the same failed programs, you know. And it, it's not compassionate to do that either. I, I I don't know what they think is being accomplished, but th- that's not compassionate. Compassionate would be to say, listen, we're going to make you get better. We're going to give you another chance. We're going to we're going to put you into a structured program that's going to help you. You're going to come out. You're going to come out clean and you're going to be thinking clearly. And hopefully you don't start using again with the right tools. You you really might not. But instead, there's just this constant enablement of, hey, here's a crack pipe. Hey, here's a clean needle. That one, that one looks a little dirty. What, you know, here you go, sir. Have a clean needle. I mean, this is what the government's doing, and it's not compassionate. It's just enabling more uh, cruelty. You know, idealistic with cruel results. I mean, that's really what we're seeing. Oh uh, yeah, and, and, it, I, it's rough to watch. No, yeah, yeah. You, you you said something that that uh, definitely going to stick with me. You said. I wouldn't we wouldn't parent our children like that. And not that the governments are are our parent or not, but in in certain scenarios when you really are a blight on society, yeah, like you your my 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 parents gave me tough love and and it made me be able to stand on my own two feet, and not need anybody in this world and made me a a productive member of society. And and in aspects like that, you 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 know, that's it's it's very true. Like we we should compassion is treating that person how you would your own child. So that, 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 that was, a yeah. that, that was a really nice. good statement. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've, uh, I've been following you for a while. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of my posts, you know, I'm passionate about the, the vaccine mandate. Of course. Um, what's your opinion on it? Uh, like personally when it started in the beginning and then to now. So, I was uh, I was never overly cooperative with any of these mandates because I'm the type of person who gets very upset when I think things are not based on logic. And um, when when you're in a position of authority, you have a responsibility to lead in a way that is rational and what we saw with the handling of covid especially as time went on was the complete polar opposite of that and i know we have our own stories and i know you went through and are still going through um a really tough time and i feel for you because it's it just doesn't feel necessary to me at all but when when so i'll back it up a little bit when covid first hit we didn't have the data we didn't know it was coming, and we had some epidemiologists in, I think, England, who said that the death rate was going to be 10 times um, what it actually ended up being. And nobody knew better. So to be conservative and say, okay, let's hunker down, let's flatten the curve, let's, let's lock down for three weeks, I said to myself, all right, you know what, we don't have more information we have no rebuttal to that. Fine. If we, if we think we can stop it, fine. And, you know, I, I, I did all, I did all the things right that, you know, I, I, at first I was wearing the mask 
um you know i was we were staying inside i was doing everything everything i could to make sure that my wife my daughter didn't get covid um you know we did (laughs) and we got it pretty fast and i realized you know and again i i'm not a scientist but i'm an observant guy and uh i do you know i i read scientific papers oftentimes um i just do it as a hobby and as time went on uh, maybe about a two months in, I, I was looking around and I think I said to my wife, I was like, we're not stopping this and we're never going to. And I understand why we're trying and we should try, but this has come in at such a velocity and so many people have gotten it so fast that you have to understand that a contagion that is capable of causing a pandemic is by definition uncontrollable. So to have gone through all these exercises, all these precautions at first, yeah, it made sense. But then we had data coming in and whenever, whenever anybody dies tragically before their time, it's a horrible, sad thing. And, you know, a loved one is lost and, uh, I understand that people became emotional about this subject and, you know, wh- whenever there's death involved, especially in high volumes, it's sometimes hard to talk rationally to people and quoting statistics isn't necessarily helpful, but that's where leadership comes in as a leader. It's, I think, incumbent on you to make the tough decisions to be able to say, you know what? people are dying and unfortunately tragically no matter what we do people are going to die but most people are not and when i started looking at the mortality statistics i saw you know less than a percent of uh people who get covid die um you know the the odds of a pediatric hospitalization are twice as unlikely as getting struck by lightning um, and a theme emerged uh, rather quickly, you know, within maybe probably by around the summer of 2020 was that if you're not immunocompromised and you're not elderly, then you are not at high risk of getting a horrible adverse effect to COVID. And medical science for a very long time has acknowledged that natural immunity is not only real, but preferable to vaccinated immunity. Um, you know, if there's no, if there's no other choice, right? So yeah, you want to get vaccinated for something like polio. Nobody wants to get polio and then risk, you know, being crippled for the rest of their lives, um, you know, to come out on the, you know, for the odds of, that you come out the other side and you have immunity to polio. So, you know, for the anti-vax crowd, okay, that's your prerogative. I'm not anti-vax, but I would say as soon as we knew that the vaccine didn't prevent spread, all mandates should have stopped the next day, the next day. And I figured, okay, Omicron came around. Everybody who was vaccinated, who didn't already get COVID, got COVID in New York City. And when I say everybody, obviously not everybody, but almost everybody. And it 
absolutely obliterated the notion that the vaccine stops spread. So what other justification is there to mandate a vaccine that doesn't that that doesn't stop spread. I mean, it, it, there's no other justification for mandating a vaccine that doesn't stop spread because then, I mean, at the end of the day, you're responsible for yourself, right? I understand the idea, okay, we have to protect our fellow man, but it turned out that we were not with the vaccine. And as soon as we knew that, they should have shut down all the mandates. It was arguable that the mandates had some merit, I think, when we thought that it did prevent spread. And reasonable people can differ there. But over a year ago, we learned that it didn't. And to have kept these arbitrary mandates in place and for people to have been fired for to make people who already had COVID um, and developed immunity against really what medical science says to make them get vaccinated, it became this absurd theater that uh, only further divided this country. And uh, I think those who would say, oh, you know, no matter I, I remember having conversations with people like, listen, it doesn't prevent spread. So why, why should we mandate this? Like, oh, well, then you're anti-science. No, actually, you're anti-science because you're not keeping up to date with the evolving science. No. You're using this term science like it's this like this, it's this unchanging, um, you know, chiseled in stone idea. No, you, there was the whole follow the science crowd. And these are the ones who were preaching to everybody and being obnoxious. And it turned out that their dogmatic approach was wrong, and, but they wouldn't stop. They just wouldn't stop. And it's such arrogance, such hubris that people have lost their jobs schools were shut down for so long in these blue states, uh, it, it angers me deeply. And I'm sure you have some things to say about that yourself. Oh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awful. No, no, it's, it's absolutely awful. Like to watch it go through, to watch a lot of good people, like really like good hearted, you know, uh, citizens of and residents in New York City and throughout this country lose their job for nothing for something that you can't even justify you know mayor adams the yep. only the only justification he ever gave is this is new york city you know i'm what like what does that mean <laughs> i don't know what that means like he said it several times now when he's asked you know why are you keeping the mandate when you let the the athletes when they let the athletes and the performers not have the thing oh this is new york city and no one pushed back. And I think that was on Fox. I think that was Rosanna Scott who asked him that. And he said, and then he said it. And then he said it again recently when when he lifts the, the public employer mandate. So now uh just just on up to date news, um the uh the PBA, the PBA on Friday, uh their case goes to the their arbitrary and capricious case. Their their uh their uh they made a they made a case that the, the mandates arbitrary and capricious. They put that together after the uh, after the athletes and performers um, were exempted, and everyone else wasn't. So they said, "Well, how are you enforcing this then?" Like if you're saying for one, and that's what I always say. Like if you say that, "Oh, you're going to give an exemption to one guy," how could I give an exemption to Brian and say Brian's not an undue hardship, but John is? That's the definition of discrimination. It violates the law, you know. Um, so. 
So now here we are. The judge, the judge says that this this mandate's unenforceable, and nobody could be fired or put on leave without pay. And we've already had thousands, like countless. Like I'm not kidding. I don't even I don't even know the number, but everyone I know was affected by this. Everyone I know was either forced to take it, um, left and retired early, like I did, was fired, or is still dealing with it in some shape or form, whether trying to. Um, you know, they're trying to wrap their head around the decision they made, or now they're still trying to fight to not take it because they're waiting on their appeals. And currently where we're see like, I think it's 200 people right now in the police department are still on the chopping block as of, if they don't have the shot by Wednesday, that they'll be fired or terminated. So I'm sure there's some, a lot of mass retirements going on right now, even though the judge said that they can't enforce this. Um, you know, the city did issue a notice to appeal. The, the the decision they issued a notice to appeal the decision and they're kind of laying on the thing well that's it just relates to the pba members of the pba so for the police department you know depending on your rank is what union you belong to a police officer belongs to the pba a sergeant belongs to the sba which is the sergeant benevolent association lieutenant captain so on they belong to their own associations so they're trying to say that the word police officer only relates to that rank. I'm like, so now we went from exempting the athletes to exempting the public sector or the private sector to now we're going to just differentiate just this one little sect in the police department. Oh, just the guys in the rank of police officer, which to me, that decision affects everybody. That decision should exempt the teachers, exempt the firefighters, exempt everybody, you know, um, that decision. But but at least if you want to make the argument, I mean, at least you're going to say, well, it was only for the police department. Um, you know, in law, whenever we talk about in, in any written law, New York State penal law, the con- uh, not the Constitution, but New York State penal law and the, the, the and New York City penal code and, and all of these things, they only ever use one term. It's police officer. They don't describe right. you by rank. You know, they never describe you like I was never I never referred to myself as a lieutenant. I was always a police officer. When people ask me what I did, I'm a cop. Um, So it's just getting it's just so ridiculous at this point. And I think I think a lot of people that really went for a very long time with it. I didn't. I always thought that it was wrong. Um, But I think even a lot of people now are saying like this is this is this got to come to an end. Like, what are we doing this for? It doesn't even make sense. It's it's crazy. No, it ma- it makes no sense. And now, now I, I mean, what, what exactly are they saying now? They're they're saying that if you're a city employee, you're still a risk for breeding COVID. But if you're somehow if you're employed privately, uh, you're not a risk for COVID. I mean, th- nothing makes sense. There's no consistency. It is all arbitrary. And this is, I feel like this is just the finale, right, to what's been going on this entire time, because it really hasn't made sense for the longest time. I mean, even for as long as long back as uh, when restaurants opened and, you know, you'd you'd walk in, you'd have to have your mask on. You sit down, you take your mask off, you get up to go to the bathroom, you put your mask back on. I remember going crazy about that. And people were angry at me like, hey, just shut up. At least we get to go to the restaurant. Like, no, it doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. And I'll respect it. You know, I'm reasonable enough. This doesn't make sense. (laughs) There's no there's nobody driving the bus and there hasn't been for a long time. So, you know. 
uh, I, I'm sorry for what uh, the police are going through and the teachers are going through and the hospital workers went through. I mean, it, none of it was necessary. And I hope everybody, everybody who is affected by this, who lost, who lost their job, gets compensated uh, for lost time, for emotional distress. I mean, this is the type of thing that was never, ever logical and it needs to be rectified. Yeah. So I, I hope I hope it happens, John. I hope it happens for you. Yeah, we'll see. Listen, I, I, again, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about me. You know, push me in a different direction in my life, and I, yeah. I believe everything happens for a reason. I made the decision I made. I said I'm not gonna. You're not gonna tell me what to do. I don't believe it, and I have the antibodies. Your own medical doctors told me not to take the vaccine when it came out because my <laughs> antibodies were too high. And then three weeks later, they're telling me to take the vaccine. I'm like, I, I don't understand. Like, you know, so I just couldn't do it. I, you know, I could have did it for money. I've done, you know, I've risked my life every day for money. And like, I was, it was never, it was never about that. I'm scared of a vaccine or I thought like some crazy conspiracy theory about the vaccine. It was never that it was, how could you tell me to do something that doesn't make sense? And exactly. I was, and I was worried that you, they were going to tell my children that they, I'd have to stick something in their body. And that, and that, and it wasn't just for that. Cause I'm like, once we set this precedent, Right. It could just go with anything. Right. Like then then if I'm setting the precedent that you could just tell me something that makes zero sense and and or, or you know, or and or you're going to fire me, then, OK, you know, what? I'll just leave that. Maybe this job isn't for me anymore. You, you don't you know, you don't respect me. You know, I was a you know, I was a five point rated employee. I, you know, every I still get calls about work. People still call me. I've been out. I've been out a long time now. I'm still like getting calls. Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? You know, I'm like, but if you don't want me, that's fine. You know, so I moved on. But I, I think the, the guys that were younger than me, I really hope that they they get their jobs back, especially the people that were fired. Um, and I, and I really do. Like, I, I talked to a lot of people that struggle with the fact that they took it to, I, and, and, and again, it's not cause they, they were injured or anything, even though I do know people that were injured. I do. I have friends that were severely injured. Um, it's not a lot of people. Um, but I have people that nothing happened to them, but they struggle with the fact that they stuck something in their body that they didn't want to. And, and, you know, we, we, I, I talk about it a lot with people. Um, and, and, you know, and I always just go back to, Hey, you, you know, you, you, you did what you had to do. We risk our lives every day. The guy that owns the pizzeria, he risks his life every day that when he goes up to open his shop, you know, anybody, any, whoever's going to work that day, we do things for our family, you know, and that's what you did. I'm sorry that, that a mayor felt that, that this was okay to put, people of faith or people that were worried about health issues or people that had philosophical, um, you know, reasons. I, 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 I'm sorry that somebody thinks that that's okay to do to people. I never thought it was okay. I still don't think it's okay. So to me, I'll, I'll never forgive Eric Adams for that, like for going along with it, you know, Bill de Blasio put it up, but the enforcement really came under his administration. And, and I, I think he's a total failure. It's, it's, it's awful, you know, Oh. Yeah, it's the principle of the matter. Uh, you know, what, what you said is absolutely right. The government telling you to do something that makes zero sense is against what the scientific literature says. It's the principle of the matter, because what else would they ask you to do if you were to submit to that? And I, I think it, it takes a brave, strong character to say, you know what? No, because this sets a horrible precedent. So, I, you know, I, I, I support that mentality. Um, I got the vaccine earlier, you know, before we knew that spread. 
was not stopped by it because I figured, you know, if I can somehow help not give it to somebody else, okay, whatever. I, I thought it was the right thing to do. And, you know, yeah, as you know, I, I paid the consequences for that because it was shortly after I had COVID. And, um, you know, I did end up in the ER, in the ER because I had a bad immune inflammatory reaction to it, ultimately ended up with a neuralgia in my face. So, um, you know, and like you said, that is rare. That's, uh, you know, I don't I don't, I don't want to I, I don't use that to say, you know, that's the vaccine in and of itself is a bad thing. Uh, I think it should be a choice. I think, you know, if you're elderly or if you have at risk uh, conditions, um, you know, it, it can it can help save your life. But if you're healthy and especially if you've had covid, uh, it's something to think about and not blindly just sign up for. Uh, I don't understand what Mayor Adams is doing. Um, I thought he would come in and be different. I did. And uh, he's really not that different from de Blasio if you look at the crime rate and the way COVID was handled. Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see a difference. I, I he's just following that model, and you know he hasn't changed anything. And again, you know I, I I understand the critics that say, oh, you know he didn't he didn't create it. I'm like he didn't, but he's not. You could do so much more. You could do so much more about unity. You could do so much more about bringing people together, really coming home on the whole police issue and everything, and like really bringing the community to the table. Like, what do you want the cops to do? Like, tell us. What do you what do the cops do when there's kids drinking in a park? What should we do when there's a homeless guy on the street? What should we do when there's a emotionally disturbed guy? What should we do? Bring the community in, bring everybody in, you know, and, and, you know, I, like I said, I, I believe in, in debate. I, but I, I don't, I'm not, you know, my, my best friend and my oldest sister, we, uh, we argue like cats and dogs. And I've learned, I've came out of every one of those discussions and I've learned something, you know, cause I, I was thinking dumb about something. There was something that I wasn't right about. There was something that they weren't right about. And like, you know, we need to get back to, to really being able to have civil conversation in here to further it you know yeah. um and 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 he's not you know he's shutting it down and and it it really bothers me to watch it's real it's real arrogance on his part and then even uh i don't know if you've seen when i testified in city council and you know he had all these city workers that were either terminated uh left early over the mandate the 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 other part the like the whole left of the city council got up and left as the city workers were speaking i'm like you gotta be kidding me i'm like you're a public servant like this is like if if a cop or a fireman or an ems worker or a teacher or a nurse did that to you they would be fired they would yeah. be fired like you know and like you're gonna just you know you're, you're these are these are your constituents these are people exactly. that lived in this city like whether you agree with them or not like you know we got to sit there i gotta sit there and listen to you like you know what i mean like you can't you can't give us 10 minutes of your time you know um so it, it was it, it I, I just really think we need to get back there, you know. Um, Agreed. Agreed. How do you feel currently about uh, New York City public schools? I mean, there's always room for improvements. Uh, you know, I was one of those dads who, you know, I, not to keep going on the mandates, although I will if you want to. But, I can talk uh, about it until next yeah. Monday. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Um, we're, we're in good shape. <laughs> no, um, I, I, I'm, I'm bitter toward the schools, to be honest, because they shut them down for too long. 
that also was against the grain of science. Uh, other states opened up long before New York did. Uh, and even when they did open up, they were the last or one of the last states to uh, let the kids take their masks off. Um, you know, for a while there, my daughter was playing soccer outside in the heat with a mask on. And the, it was it felt like an, a dystopian alternate, like an alternative reality um, that uh, like, you know, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, that, yep. that show. Yep. You know, yeah. where where government is just so all powerful that it can make you do some of the craziest things and make it feel normal. That's what it felt like. Like we were stuck in some version of Gilead where, um, you know, kids, little kids had to wear masks while they're sweating and breathing hard while playing soccer and they can't go to school without, um, you know, putting this protective uh, gear over their face that has was long proven to not help with uh, stopping transmission, and they just didn't want to let it go, uh, even after the schools opened. And then, you know, the public schools themselves, I do think, to give them credit, you have a lot of teachers who uh, are serious about what they do, and they want, you know, they want nothing more than to educate. And, uh, you know, I, I think you have to give teachers credit, but I also think that the schools have also adopted politics into their curriculum where it doesn't really belong and that needs to stop. Um, and I know a lot of people are upset with, um, you know, the gifted and talented programs, whereas it used to be based upon merit, which I think that's the way it should be. If you're a top performer, that's how you should be admitted. Um, you know, like I said, I have ADHD. I had ADHD when I was a kid. I probably would not have gotten into one of these programs, but I'd be okay with that. Right. Yeah. But to, to play around with these kids' futures who, you know, they grow up in these families that preach academics from a young age and they're not able to go into these specialized high schools because 20% of it is just a lottery. Uh, that's not fair to me. Uh, it's not fair to, um, you know, these kids, um, again, these are not privileged kids. A lot of them, you know, are, you know, for instance, uh, lower middle class Asian Americans who really emphasize academics and they see that as uh, the pathway to maybe a better life than their parents are living. And uh, it's randomly taken away from them because they're spun around in a lottery uh and they they don't they don't get what they they've earned so there's a lot that's going wrong with uh education in here in new york um i don't like the politics i don't like the lack of meritocracy but i i i can't bad mouth the educational system completely because i do think you know it's hard to be a teacher and i do think there are a lot of teachers that are in it for the right reasons and you know they they don't get paid a lot of money and they they go in and I think their heart's in the right place. So uh, that said, lots of improvement. Keep the politics out. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I see it. No, yeah, no, I, I, I you could have, you, you could have took the words out of my mouth because that's exactly how I feel. I, honestly, I loved my, I loved my kids' teachers. I did. I, my kids went to public school. I loved their teachers. I had no issue with it with their teachers at all. 
I had issue with the policy coming down from the DOE and I get that the teachers want to teach and they're going to go yep. along with it. My older sister is an assistant principal and you know, that she's like, we're doing, we got to do, we got to play in the rules. And so I never held them personally accountable for anything, but it was, it was heartbreaking to watch, man. It really was. They couldn't, you know, when I, when I, when I eventually put my papers in and started to burn in my time, cause I was like, all right, I'm just going to get fired. So I might as well just retire. I had some time that they told me I couldn't use unless I did it, but it's whatever time period. So I was like, all right. So I started burning my time. And I, you know, before that I was never around, I was never home to like take my kids to school or any of that. I was working, you know, I was working probably six days a week, 14 hours a day. So, but then bringing them to school with the mask on when I myself don't wear a mask, I'm like, it was heartbreaking to me. And, it, and I was getting enraged doing it. And like, I was like, this oh, is, I, too. and I was like, this is bad, man. Like, you know, I'm like getting, I'm snapping an attitude with people that live in my neighborhood that are good people. You know what yep. I mean? And I'm like, and I'll tell you, and then we made the decision to move to Florida. My wife's like, let's get out of here. You're not doing good here, you know? So, and that, this was at the time I, we, I still couldn't eat in a restaurant. I couldn't take my kids to a restaurant. I couldn't take them to a bowling alley. I couldn't take them to a museum. And I was like, holy, I was like, this is, this is everything I've ever read about in history that went wrong. Um, yes. like, this is how easy it could go. You know, and I'm like, this is, this isn't right, man. And I'll tell you, we came to Florida first day in school. My kids are in school. I, I get there a little early. I pick them up from school and all the kids are playing. And, and I posted this on Instagram. If anybody's listening, you know, if you go back on my Instagram, all the kids are playing and you just hear the laughter and the chatter. And I didn't hear it for two years. I was in my car, hysterical crying, you know, in my video, I'm not crying anymore. And I'm, I'm angry at the things I say, but, but prior to that video, I was hysterical crying. I was like, holy shit. I was like, why is it okay here? Why is yep. it okay in Florida? And it's not okay where I'm from, where I lived my whole life. Like, yep. why could all my kids run around? And there were some kids that were masked, and there were some teachers that were masked, and there were some that weren't, and there were some kids that were vaccinated, and there were some kids that weren't. And I'm like, this is what New York City was beautiful for, that you mm-hmm. could be whoever you want to be. You could wear your hijab. You could wear your Asian garb. You could wear your yarmulke. You could do all of these things. The Italians would come in eating a meatball sandwich. Some the Jewish kid would come in eating uh, gefilte. Like, you know, like, like just whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what, you know, I learned so many cultures in the city. I, you know, I'm. And, and and it really it broke my heart, dude. It really did. It, it it broke my heart. That must have been a nice, liberating feeling, though, to say the least. Because I, you know, my wife and I were talking for a while. I was pushing it, maybe a little more than her. I wanted to move to Florida, and you know, we ultimately we're we're still anchored here in the city. And you know, I guess that's part of why I wanted to run for Congress too. Is just because I felt like everything was going so wrong in the city and yeah and you know i i wasn't doing well either you know and uh, i i felt like yeah, all right let me try to make change another way let me let me try to use this energy you know this feeling in my chest and uh channel it in a more positive way than just being angry and you know i was snapping at teachers and you know it was just, it, it was the same thing and um you know it, it comes down to leadership uh, I, I don't care what you think about Ron DeSantis. He made the right call. He made the right call. He saw it early and he had, 
he had the balls to say, you know what, we're not stopping this. You know, a lot of what they're doing, a lot of what we're doing is not even, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket really. Uh, and he was right. If you, if you look at all the, you know, the, the trajectory of the virus, when it was peaking, when it hit its valleys, it's the same in Florida, if not better than it was in blue cities like LA, New York city, which goes to show that none of these protocols made a damn difference, but it made a lot of people very pissed off and divided the country even worse than it already was. And uh, that comes down to leadership and Ron DeSantis did the right thing. And you made a right call. You made a, you made a good move. <laughs> no, I, I, say, I, I don't regret it because I'll tell you right now, I don't miss the way New York City is. And I don't even miss the police department. I'm, I'm talking to people. I, I miss all the guys and girls I work with. I miss them. Um, you know, even even my higher ups, like, you know, even though, you know, they'll they'll tell you one thing in public. Believe me, they they uh, they, <laughs> they they think like me and you. Um, but but, uh, you know. I, I don't miss being on the job, but like now all the stuff that's coming down, the, the, you know, these guys are working seven days a week. You are already never home. You already never knew what you could do. You couldn't make a plan. And, you know, and now you're out there, there's zero respect and you're basically standing at the shoreline with a bucket trying to throw the water back in the ocean and hope that the, the, the waves aren't going to keep coming in. Cause it's, you know, w- what's going yep. on right now is lawlessness. The, the, the justice system has been upended and, uh, you know, and, and I'll be honest, I, I, I was back, I was back for about two weeks in the summer. Uh, I still own property there. Um, and I was back about two weeks. I was getting ready to rent it. And, uh, I couldn't go to the restaurants that wouldn't let me in. I was like, I, I could never, and I seen a couple of restaurant owners that I know, and I couldn't shake their hand either. I was like, I don't, I was like, we're good. I, I'm like, I could never, I could never forgive certain things, you know, I'm not mad at them. But I don't want to do with them either. I'll never patronize your business again. I won't shake your hand. Like I'm not going to be rude or say anything to you. Just you know, that's it. I, I, I you show me who you are, and and you know, because you know, I, 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 you know, as much as I'm a cop and I believe in in law, I believe in morality too. I believe there's God's law and there's Chuck Schumer's law, and I God's <laughs> law holds a lot of weight for me, and man's law really, you know, depends what it is. Like you know. You picked up your cell phone for two seconds. I'm not writing you a ticket. You know, you you you're a bunch of little kids smoking a joint in the schoolyard. I'm not taking you guys to jail. You know, yeah, like shit, you know what I mean. Like, so I, you know, it, it was hard for me because you know there was some places that were like speakeasies. You know, I went to a, a bunch of parties. Shout out to all those places. I won't name them personally, but you know, we would go have parties. You know, and and it was all normal and it was good. You know, and they were all on Staten Island, so. Um, so uh, Rikers, right? Rikers is a big thing coming up in New York, right? They're talking about getting rid of Rikers. We see a lot of inmates dying. We see drug use, drugs coming in, a lot of different problems in Rikers. Um, the, the solution that's being presented is to go to a borough-based jail system. W- what do you think about that? Um, I think you know what my answer is going to be, but <laughs> I'll tell it to you anyway. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the borough-based jail idea, aside from being a massive taxpayer burden, I mean, you're talking about $8.6 billion to build these jails. Uh, I mean, you're putting this behemoth in the heart of Chinatown where there's small businesses and parks and schools 
And for what? You know, for half the cost, you could rebuild the infrastructure in Rikers. You could rehire uh, wherever uh, the hiring problems are. I understand that there is a problem at Rikers, but jails, prisons belong in remote locations, not in neighborhoods. Um, It's a waste of money. It's a waste of resources. And it's an eyesore. Nobody in these neighborhoods wants these jails. So you have a remote location that's already dedicated to holding a prison. Why not take half that money, rebuild the facilities, make it more, uh, make it more human, make it more livable. Um, you know, whatever, whatever abuses have gone on, uh, whatever dilapidated um, infrastructure that they're dealing with, this is stuff that can be fixed. It's been done before. So put money into it, right? Create a mental health facility there. Because again, you can't have homeless shelters doubling as psych wards. And that's what we have right now. Create, uh, build a mental health facility there. It's actually a huge island that most of it is not even used. It's green. People can actually rehabilitate there if they're having mental health issues, if they're, you know, psychotic, whatever, whatever they need. I mean, this is a space that should be used as a prison and for mental health. Um, to, to, uh, and this just goes back to the dysfunction of the city. You know, you take one thing like COVID and you mix it in with one bad decision after another. And you're all of a sudden you're in this tornado of irrationality. Why? Why build these jails? What, what are you accomplishing? Why? I mean, you're talking about building a prison as large as the Statue of Liberty in the heart of Chinatown, a neighborhood like that. I mean, you know, Chinatown, it's a really, tight. yeah, it's tight. It's unique. It has history. And you're just going to plop, put a jail there and not only a jail, a, a mega jail. <laughs> and that's not my term for it. That's their term for it. I mean, the city's term for it. I mean, they're calling it the mega jail, and they're just going to put it in the middle of a neighborhood. It makes no sense. Uh, so it's very, it's really upsetting to see. Uh, it's crazy. What, do you, what do you think of it? <laughs> uh, oh, it's crazy. But on Chinatown, I mean, anybody go by the 5th Precinct? That building was built in 1865, I believe. It's a, semi, it's, it's a fully attached townhouse, basically, on both sides. Um, it's, you know, townhouses today that they, they shrunk the size down are bigger than that precinct and there's actually no parking for the cops whatsoever so they park on canal street so when you see all the cop cars in the middle of the street and everyone's cursing at them oh yeah that's why there's zero parking that building that building's so old it had a morgue in it like they used to they used to it was a, it was built in the 1800s what so so and and it's still chinatown the majority of it's very tight you know they have all these little shops restaurants all that stuff so just right there it's insane to even think to build anything in there <laughs> like it's insane yeah and there's a lot of history there and there's a lot of culture there um yep and and you know and i i don't think that would be right to do to new york city or to do to the asian community that that's there um but yep. my my opinion is on on rikers it's it's again it's a failure in leadership it shows how incompetent our leadership is and you know and and honestly and it's showing Eric Adams' inability to pick people that could transform that that situation. Like, how are drugs getting into Rikers Island? Why can't we stop that? 
How are we allowing drug use in like Rikers Island? How are we getting illegal drugs in there? It's coming in some way. And, and to tell me that we can't figure that out when we could track down a murderer that was masked and no prints were left and we could find that person within 48 hours, but you can't figure out how drugs are coming into a prison. It's crazy. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, what is, what is one box? You, you build one box somewhere else. You have the same policies, the same leadership, the same, uh, the same prison guards, everything's the same in there the overall structure remains the same in a new building how yep. how does it fix anything you're gonna you're gonna have all the same problems except you spent all this money to continue to have them and now you spread it out throughout the communities um yeah i think i think that's a great idea i love your, your idea about the mental health facility i didn't even think about doing that, that that's a great idea um but yeah like i said like i i think that you all every issue that that's currently being faced in rikers island right now is uh is 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 fixable um it it, it truly yep. is it, it's truly a it's a fixable situation it just made me think of something and i, I lost my train of thought um ah whatever okay it'll come back to me it'll uh, come back yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but now i can see like you know you know people say like i'm a right-wing guy and i'm, I'm really not like i probably lean conservative but i fancy myself as a, a true liberal um i i'm a free thinker like I'm, I'm conservative about a lot of things i'm right-wing about a lot of things and i'm left-wing about some things you know but i'm, yep. I'm a moderate i i would say i'm dead in the middle because i i respect others opinions as long as you're willing to have a conversation so now i see why i see why arrow lewis you know <laughs> decided to leave you and 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 another moderate that was running for for district 10 um out mon moron like what, what yep. they let he so he leaves you out of the debate right which is the democratic debate which is really new york one is front and center stage for new york residents right like everybody has new york one on everybody listens to it all morning you go to any place of business new york one's on it's playing over and over again and you were barred from that debate you know would yep. you, would, would how do you how do you feel about that I was, uh, as you can imagine, not thrilled. Uh, you know, you, you, running for Congress takes a lot of effort. And, you know, I, I was pounding the pavement every day. I was doing everything I could to meet people, to get my message out. And, um, you know, the, they'll, they'll give all sorts of reasons. You know, uh, granted, I was more of a newcomer on the scene. That doesn't mean that I didn't have good, fresh ideas to share and that would have been valuable. So I, I think I think that there's a certain paradigm that is protected that is protected in New York City politics, and um, you know you saw the debate, and it could have used some contrary opinions, in my opinion. I mean, it really it was really just this various shades of the same color, if you ask me. Um, you know, especially when they were talking about public safety, they all had the same thing to say when they were talking about, uh, mandates for kids in schools, they all had to say the same thing. I mean, if, if I was on there, uh, and Maud as well, that would have been a rocking debate. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, that would have, it would have been a completely different debate and it would have represented a much wider spectrum of the voices in New York City. Okay, so I'm more centrist than I am far left. 
I'm sorry if that's not what you prefer, but this is a democracy. And the definition of a democracy is to let all voices be heard and then let the voters uh, voice their opinion. But when you say, all right, we're not going to have you on there, you're essentially saying we're not even going to give you a chance to win. And I'm not saying that if I were on there, I would have won, but I would have shaken that debate up. That's for sure. And I would have brought up issues that needed to be brought up. So whatever justification they use, I mean, it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, you know, there were some early polls done. You know, everybody knows they're biased, but okay. You know, these two, they weren't high enough in the poll, so we're not going to let them on. That that ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy because what happens is if you don't give everybody a chance while they're running to voice what they have to say and to bring to the table what they want to bring to the table, then those polls end up being correct because you shut them out. You are actually, they were in control of that outcome. And, uh, you know, it's, I try not to be bitter about it, but I, I do think that it would have been a higher quality, uh, more interesting debate had uh, Maud and I been able to be on there. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, per, my personal opinion is it's election interference. That's my yeah. personal opinion. You were registered, like you're a candidate, right? You went through all the process, you know, and, and I really do think, I think that, and you, and you know, you had a big grassroots movement and so did Maud. You know, you guys did, were out there. You had a lot of independent reporters following around. Leroy Press has been on this podcast. I spoke yep. to him personally about you. He's a, he was a big fan. He was He's a, big, a great guy, yeah. He was a big supporter of you, you know, and, you know, he was always telling me, check it, check this out, check this out, you know, sh- send them all your videos. And um, I was like, I really, I, I think that if New York would have heard what you had to say, it you would have picked up a lot more support. You would have. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, you know, and I, and I always go back to, you know, that I've been told for the last 20 years, oh, don't vote. Your vote doesn't count, you know. Um, and, and I don't believe that. I'm like, no, nah. I was like, because if, you know, every, and everyone tells that, oh, I don't vote. I don't vote. My vote doesn't count here. My vote doesn't count in New York. I'm like, that's the biggest lie ever. I'm like, less than 50% of the people are registered to vote. Less than one fourth of that 50% actually go out and vote. So, you know, which leads me to believe is that the overwhelming majority of people are saying my vote doesn't count. And they're not even paying attention when they go on the news and they see everybody say, I support a vax mandate for kids. I support a vax mandate for oh kids. My God. I support yeah. a vax mandate for kids. And you literally, they sold houses. They, you know, real estate agents in Florida should have cut New York one a check for that. They really should have, they should have started. Cause I, I'll tell you right now, I was on the beach the other day. There was about 50 of us with our kids from New York city, all from New York city, all successful people, teachers, cops, firemen, business owners, all, all different people. And, one of the girls at the plate at, when we're at the beach, she turns around. She says to me, "Wow, if I, I'm my my kids' communion's party is coming up, and I don't know who I would invite if I was still in New York." Wow, like, that's I mean, I know it's like it was like it was almost like slap me in my face because I was like one of the first people to make the jump, um, and I was like, "Oh my god, is it really? It's really that? It's really like it really?" And like I I always loved New York. I always thought it was the best place in the world. I never you would have asked me three years ago, I was never leaving. Never, 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 never leaving. I would have never thought that that, that it came to this. So it, it's awful what they did, you know, and I, you know, 
I, I see why they did it though, because you really would have you like you said, you you would have shook up, you would have shook that debate up. You would not only would you shook that debate up, you would have got national attention for it too. Um, you know, so so it was a shame what they did to you. Um but what do you think? What, what 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 do you think the the way forward is, in your opinion, for for the country, for New York City? Like, what do you, what do you think? That's a tough one. Um, we we do have to find a way to be civil with each other. We do have to find a way, you know. And this is what I've been talking about for a long time. And you're obviously a proponent of it. Is respectful debate, and you know, being able to agree to disagree. Or to understand that two people who would assume would never get along or be able to learn anything from each other, if they just go in with good intentions and not assume the other side is evil, if they were to actually sit down, they'd be surprised at what kind of common ground could possibly be found. But we seem to be a long way from there right now. Uh, And yet there's the other side of the coin where it's like, you know, you're the type of person who goes out and I'm the type of person who goes out talk to people from all different walks of life, all different sides of the political spectrum, and we get along just fine. But there are certain elements in society that are hell-bent on keeping us divided. And COVID was the ultimate multiplier of that. So, um, you know, we need, to, we need to get, we need to put COVID behind us in order to heal. That's number one. And what I mean by that is we need to put the government's response to COVID behind us. Uh, if we don't do that, we're going to continue to be divided. Um, you know, the whole follow the science crowd, the original ones, they know they're wrong, but they're, they're, they'll double down. I mean, they're, they're stubborn and uh, it's almost become cult-like in, in a way where it's like mask is not even about the science. It's about a symbol of, you know, being a ultra progressive, uh, you know, person who's part of a club and uh that to me is scary when something goes from being a precaution to being a symbol (laughs) um and i think that's where we're at is that we've hit uh and on both on both sides i mean you know the far right has its problems too i always say you know uh i've always been a defender of uh anti-semitism and there's you know there's there is uh, a lot of uh people who would want to do harm to everyday people like Jews or any immigrants, uh, um, minorities. I mean, that exists on the far right as well. But uh, the reality that I'm living in, in New York City, and that a lot of us are living in, it's the far left that has way too much control and way too much power to um, trickle negativity into the minds of everyday people and portray reality that's not really reality but in a way that has people's attitudes going in a sour direction and that needs to stop. Um, you know, and I, I think perhaps a way out is to let more voices be heard, uh, and for people to start processing more independent media. Um, because, you know, whenever there's an agenda, there's, there's, um, a need for control. And uh, a lot of these media powerhouses that people read without thinking twice, like the New York Times, uh, have become more than just a source of information. It's become uh, a zeitgeist or um, almost a way to tell you how to live or how to be virtuous. 
And that ends up being the opposite and it creates division. So uh, I think people need to start thinking for themselves, uh, start thinking independently and just, you know, reach into their hearts and say, listen, what's happening now is not working. There's something wrong with the world right now. It wasn't like this even five years ago, even three years ago. So let's take a look at what we're doing habitually um, without even thinking about it and actually start thinking about it. And maybe we can identify the problem. And I'm hoping that makes some sense because I know that no, was it does. No, no, no. It, it makes perfect sense. It makes yeah. perfect sense. I, I, I get everything you're saying. Open cool. the debate up. Think. Use your brain. Don't don't yep. process the nonsense that you get from just an article. Read the articles, but think around them. Like you know, mm-hmm. I, I get everything you're saying. You know, hundred um, percent. What's your advice to regular people? Like you, 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 you know, you felt this gut. It, you know, you're like, there's something's going wrong. I think that I can make a change. Um, I felt that too, but then I, I left. <laughs> I don't believe. Um, but uh, but uh, what's your advice to people that they're like, you know what? I think I could do this. I'm I'm gonna get involved. I want to get involved in the political process. You know, you you started, you grassroots it. Like, what, what would you be your advice to just a regular average person that just decides, you know what? I think I could do this. To uh, like anything for them if they're looking to run for office. Any advice you could offer? Anything like that. I think if you're burning inside and you feel like you have something to say, then you say it. And I think it's that simple. You know, I I don't consider myself that different from, you know, the average guy that you're talking about who wants to make a difference. I think half of it is just wanting to make a difference. There are different ways of doing it. It doesn't mean you have to go into politics. You know, you can get involved in other ways. You can, there's um, so many ways to express yourself or, to make even the smallest changes that have large impacts. But if, if the question is, you know, how do you get into politics? You just do it. That's what I did. You sign up and say, I'm running. You know, I, I don't like the way things are running. Um, I, I don't like the status quo. I have something different to say. Here I am. And you're going to have to deal with it and just be brave and keep going. And people are going to, you know, people are going to mock you. People are going to say, oh, we've never heard of this person. So what? Eventually they will have heard of you. You know, you don't give up. That's what, that's what it counts. That's what it really comes down to is if you have something to say and you're burning and you have to say it, then you have no choice. You have to say it. So that would be my advice. I appreciate that. And that's a brave statement, you know, and you, you are a regular guy. Like you're not, you know, you're not a, Oh, like I, I didn't mean to to put you in like the the politicians. Oh no, I'm not offended. But you I'm are on the political. But you are on the political stage now, right? You did like what you just said, right? I was a regular guy, and you interjected yourself onto the stage now. You know, you really did. Uh, whether whether yeah. whether you think so or not, like people are going to look to you as a politician. But I I I have to say I respect you because. I, I've encountered in during my career so many politicians on the right and on the left that will not sit down and have a conversation, you know, and to me, that's not genuine. That's not someone that's caring. That's not somebody because anything that I feel what well, uh, and if I believe I'm right about it, I'm willing to debate it. You know what I mean? I'm willing to sit and have a discussion and talk about it. I'm not going to run away from you. 
You know what I mean? I'm not going to hide my voice. I'm not going to try to stop your voice. I want to hear what you got to say because I think I'm right. So let's 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 get it out, you know. And so mm-hmm. I I, re- I really respect you coming on. I you know. I, I really I, I hope that you stay in the game. I really do. I would love to see you in office one day. You know, um, I think I think that's what we need. We need genuine people who really care, who are unafraid to say their point. And you did. And, and you know, I watched your videos. For anyone that doesn't know, I, I watched so many uh, Brian Robinson videos on as he was running and the things he was saying. And it was, I'll tell you, it was going against the green of what everything in New York City was going. And, you know, and and you and I could tell you weren't doing it to make a rouse. You were doing it because, you know, obviously, you know, you were, fe- you were going through it. These were the things you were feeling. So, you know, and, that, and that's and that's a leader, and that's somebody that I could vote for any day, and I, and I would, you know, and I would and I would like to see in public office. So you know, I hope I like I said, I hope you do you do run. I hope you come and I hope you come back on when you do that. You know, tell tell us what you what you're going for. And come back on in the future. You know, and uh, you know, I just want to I open it up to all my guests. You know, whatever you want to talk about, you want to do a dedication, anything you want to do, I'm opening the floor to you, Brian Robinson. Whatever you got to say, my friend. I mean, first of all, thank you for that. Uh, I, I appreciate everything you just said. And, um, you know, I, I just, yeah, I feel grateful, you know, uh, I feel grateful to be here speaking with you. Um, I feel grateful for what I've learned throughout this journey. And, uh, you know, I, I would say if I'm going to dedicate this to anybody, it would have to be my family, uh, particularly my wife, who sacrificed a lot. <laughs> for me to be out for you know so many hours a day uh doing what i was doing and uh you know then coming home and you know being of a certain emotion and uh she really supported me the entire way so um you know i'm, I'm not <laughs> i know she's not listening now because this is not live yeah. but if she can hear me in, in the other room I, <laughs> I, I hope she knows how much i appreciate her and I uh, hope she listens to this as well. And, uh, you know, to everybody who who saw something different and, uh, you know, saw me for who I was while I was doing what I was doing, I appreciate them. And uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll be back. Always awesome. a chance. <laughs> but thank awesome. you, John. I appreciate it, man. This was great. No, no, definitely. Let's do it again. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Brian Robinson. Thank you, my friend. <laughs>